Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Well, good morning, Horizon West Church. How are we doing? Wonderful. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is where we're going to be today. If we haven't met yet, my name is Doug. I'm one of the pastors on staff at First Baptist Church in Orlando's John Young campus. Uh, I help out with groups, and then I preach from time to time and do whatever else they ask me to do because I am for Orlando, like you guys are for Horizon West Church. Um, if we, again, if we haven't met, a little short little Wikipedia entry of Doug's life. My wife and I moved here to Orlando in 2016 uh, to be the college and young adults pastor after Chris Ogden left being the college and young adults pastor, right? So the pattern of my life is I just follow Chris everywhere he goes, right? If he goes and preaches at Horizon West, I go and preach at Horizon West. Uh, that's how it goes. So came here to do college and young adults, started a little thing called The Table that meets on Tuesday nights. Uh, for a season did that, moved to North Carolina, moved back uh, here uh, about a year ago, and we're back in Orlando and uh, love being in Orlando. Um, don't care for the heat so much right now, uh, but I think everybody in the room, like the heat right now, this is a little bit unbearable. Or, is that fair? Some of y'all are just like, no, I like the heat. That's, that's what I do. Okay, fine. If you like the heat, you do you. No judgment, right? I'm just saying, like the mountains of North Carolina are beautiful at some point. So uh, anyway, so glad to be with you guys here today. We're in a series uh, called Awkward Conversations, okay? And uh, what I think you guys have been, where we've been, is you've been dealing with some of these awkward conversations that can come up in the Christian life. Maybe the kind you don't want to have around uh, a dinner party or at the dinner table with some guests and polite company. You guys know what I'm talking about. And Paul's been walking through some of those conversations and how to have them there. And I think Chris has been teaching you through this over the past couple of weeks and doing a great job. So a shout out to Chris and Nikki and shout out to Chris for having me here and uh, really glad to be with you. All right, there's my housekeeping stuff. We good? Horizon West, we still good? You're not asleep yet? I know it's 1120. I don't know if you're like ready for lunch. I can't figure out the room. I'm going to be very interactive. So you guys just feel free to be, be interactive, right? If, if I tell a joke and it's funny, like you could laugh, right? Uh, no one's going to get in trouble for laughing. If it's not funny, by all means, don't laugh, right? Because I just need the feedback. Um, you know, if there's something good, you can clap, you can cheer. Uh, you know, you're old school Baptist, you can say amen or like, get it, brother, or whatever you guys have to say uh, to kind of go. All right, good. Okay, we're good. Hey, let me, let me set up 1 Corinthians 7. We're going to read 17 through 24 here. Let me set up where we're going today, right? Um, my wife and then my, one of my wife's best friends bought tickets for me and one of my wife's best friend's husband, his name's Mike, trying to get you the relationship really quickly here. Basically, my wife Natalie and Brittany, right? Natalie and Brittany bought tickets for Doug and Mike and to go to this concert uh, recently, and it was one of those festival-type concerts. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? See, like festival concerts, think Woodstock minus the paganism. You guys, you guys, okay, we're, we're more on board, right? This is not what I would call like a sophisticated concert. There's not a seat situation that you purchase. I'm in the age now where I don't go to anywhere unless there's a seat that has my name on it, just because I just, I'm not, I'm not playing uh, a roulette with that kind of situation, right? But 
there's a band we really wanted to see, a couple groups we really wanted to see, and so our wives bought us these tickets. It was kind of a bucket list thing, and so we agreed to go to this concert, this festival concert, and we get there at like two o'clock, and we walk out into this, this field, right? It's just a field with a stage like this, and there's going to be 45,000 people who show up at this field for this concert. And we get there at two o'clock, and we walk in. I've never been to one of these before, but my friend Mike has been. So we get there and we walk in and we walk as far as we can, as close as we can to the stage in the middle of this field. And we stand about 25 yards from the front of stage. We stand right in the middle where the good sound is. And we just, we mark our spots. And I look at Mike and I'm like, great, we found our spot. This is awesome. What do we do now? Because the band wasn't going on for like six and a half hours. I was like, all right, man, what do we do? Like, so is it cool? Do we just put a placard here? Do we just say reserved for Doug and Mike? People will respect that. Do I just leave my backpack here? How does this work? And Mike is like, no, we, we stand here. I was like, for six and a half hours? He's like, yeah. I go, well, how long is the band going to play? He goes, the band's going to play for two hours. I said, we're going to stand here for eight and a half hours? He's like, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. So I text my wife and I'm like, honey, I'm not sure about this. Uh, I think I made a terrible decision. And she, she, I got to read you this text. It's amazing. Hold on, just let me pull it up. It's just so funny. My wife is the most loving, uh, nice, kind person in the world. But this is what she said back to me, okay? Um, I sent her and she said, do not leave that spot. Uh, You better stay there and enjoy it. This is what happens. Don't miss the moment. And I was like, okay. So Mike and I stood there for six and a half hours in the hot sun in this field waiting on a concert to start. And each hour as we stood there, more and more people showed up to this concert. I didn't know this was going to happen. I thought people would just show up and be like, oh, those guys are up there and they have the spot. We'll leave them. We won't crowd in on them. We'll just wait back here. That's not what happened. Uh, People just started showing up and they started crowding in our spot. And pretty soon, I'm not just standing for six and a half hours. I'm, I'm like rebounding like Dennis Rodman, moving people out of the way, just boxing out here. There would be people who would, I, would be, I would be standing like this and people would walk and just kind of like step on my foot right here to try to push me over. And I'm looking at them like, what kind of social decorum is this? Where did you grow up? This is not good behavior. People are crowding in. They're, they're elbowing. You know, there's just things going on. Mike at one point is like, I need to go get water. Can you just save both spots? So now I'm like this, like crowding down, making sure these people don't come in. There was, there was one guy who showed up and just stood right behind us to see if we would move just to try to push us off our spot. And uh, I don't know about you. I don't know what your dominant emotion is, but my dominant emotion is anger. Uh, and so when that guy started doing this, I'm looking at Mike and I'm like, that guy makes one more move, it's on, right? We are gonna be, the, the news headline is gonna read, local pastor gets into fight at concert with four hours to go, right? Just, there was just that situation. It was crowded, it was claustrophobic. People weren't obeying the rules. We're all jockeying for our position. The crowd each hour, especially 30 minutes before the contest or the, the concert started, people are just like crowding all over us and there's just things. And then when the concert started, everybody's jumping and it's just, ugh. It was, it was a great concert. Don't get me wrong. It was an incredible concert. But that was really uncomfortable being a part of a crowd like that. You guys know what I'm talking about? And as we were walking out of the concert, I looked at Mike and we were talking and I just, I had this thought, it's a thought I want to bring to you guys. There is a considerable difference between being part of a crowd and being part of a community. There's a considerable difference between being part of a crowd and being part of a community. Anybody can draw a crowd. We can get a crowd anywhere. 
but crowds are unruly, there's no order, uh, people are fighting for position, they're really territorial, they're kind of mean to one another, they're aggressive, it's claustrophobic, you don't feel safe, you don't feel included, you don't feel seen, and it's just dog-eat-dog. People don't, if, if they could choose, people don't want to be part of a crowd, but people want to be part of a community. Why is that? What is it that's so different about community than a crowd? And more importantly for the people of Horizon West Church, how do you go about cultivating this kind of community as something different than just being part of a crowd? Well, this is the question that Paul wants to answer in our text today. And so I invite you to turn there right now and let's read together and see what Paul has to say about community. 1 Corinthians 7, 17 through 24. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. I think it'll be on your screen. Paul writes, Only... Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can, gain your freedom. Avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers and sisters... In whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Horizon West Church, I want you to notice three aspects of community in this text here today. I'm going to read them all, and then we'll look at each one of them one at a time. The first is the heart of community. The second is the rule of community. And the third is the sequence of community. The heart of community, the rule of community, and the sequence of community. First, I want you to notice the heart of community. Paul actually says this right there in verse 19. It's actually very nicely in the middle of that paragraph of thought. Right there in the heart of the paragraph is the heart of community. Paul writes, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. That's what counts for Paul. Keeping the commandments of God. Now, at first read, I might, I might look at this and go, Wow, Paul's kind of being legalistic here, right? At the heart of this community, at the heart of what he's talking about for the church in Corinth is that they would be obedient to the commandments of God. I don't, I don't know, man, that just kind of seems a little bit oppressive. That seems like it's a little bit too rules focused. Like, I just, I don't know, Paul, what's going on here? Why does Paul see this at the heart of community? Why is this so important? Well, I want you to keep in mind that in the perspective of the Bible, there is an inextricable link between your love of God and your obedience to his commandments. In other words, if you really love God, you're going to be obedient to what he says. Or to put it in more plain terms, if you really love God, you're going to do what he says because you love him and you trust him. And if God says you should do A, not B, you will do A, not B. Because you love God, you have no reason to not love him, you have no reason to not trust him. Uh, and, and you see this throughout Scripture. I'll just read a couple of passages. In Proverbs 1-7, the writer writes, um, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
having that proper understanding of the the division of being, the highest being possible is God, then there's angels, then there's human beings down here. That's us. Uh, The fact that we can rightly understand that God is way up here and we're down here. And so we honor this relationship. And if we can just fear him appropriately, if we can understand his worth and his power and his greatness and his goodness, if we can really understand that, that's the beginning of wisdom. A right subjugation of ourselves to who God is, is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1.7 says, In John 15, 15, this is Jesus talking. He says, if you love me, you're going to obey my commandments. If you love me and you love the Father, you're going to obey what he says. In Psalm 1, you have a couple of different things. But basically, Psalm 1 starts off like this. uh, Happy or blessed is he or she whose delight is in the law of the Lord. The people who are really happy in this world understand God's law, his rules, his, his way of living, his, his principles, his philosophy, and they are rightly um, embodying that and subjugated to that. They are going to be blessed. They're going to be happy. And the, the, the psalmist goes on. They're going to be like a tree that's planted by streams of water. They're going to have uh, great branches, and they're going to have leaves on the branches. They're going to bear fruit, and they're going to sway in the wind, and they're just going to be this pleasant thing. People whose delight is in the law of the Lord are going to be the happiest. People who love Jesus are going to obey his commands. People who rightly fear God and understand his place, they're going to be the most wise. Over and over again, Scripture teaches that if we love God, we're going to obey him. And this is the reason why. Love in the Bible is not a feeling. Love is a verb. It's a, it's a commitment to a way of life. It's a commitment to a person. And love doesn't, doesn't feel as much as love does. And in doing this thing, you're going to develop this kind of feeling that comes along and accompanies it. But the primary thing here of love is love is doing. And love does a very specific thing. It's an action verb. It does a very specific thing. It obeys. And for Paul, for Paul, the heart of the gospel, the heart of the message is that if you love God, you're going to obey him. And when you obey him, you are going to be wise, you are going to be happy, you are going to delight in him, and you're going to receive his joy. You're going to be doing the thing for which you were made in this life. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, we have, do we have anybody in here who's married? You're here today, you're married, maybe even dating. Any married dating people here today? It's, you don't have to be ashamed of this. You can say, yes, that's me, okay? All right, thank you. Uh, married, well, married dating people, right? Okay, let's say you love one another, okay? All right? Uh, that's my assumption, okay? I, I'm married. I've been married almost 20 years, okay? So I think you guys will get this. And if you're not married or dating here today, you can see your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you can see how they nod along to this. You will basically get what I'm saying here. Let's just do a thought experiment. I want you to imagine, my wife is Natalie. I want you to imagine my wife says, uh, honey, will you, my car's low on gas. Will you take it to go get gas? And I want you to imagine that I'm like, Natalie, I love you with all of my heart. I love you with everything. But I don't have to do anything you tell me to do, right? And then I just walk off out of the room. How long do you think I'll be able to adopt that attitude in my household and it go well with me? How many of you think that can happen forever? That's sustainable. How many of you think that's a sustainable approach in my marriage? Yeah, notice, no hands raised, right? Not even the middle schooler who's like, I'm going to be a contrarian raises his hands because everybody knows that doesn't work. If you love somebody, you, you do what they ask, not because you are afraid of them, not because uh, you feel some sense of burden or obligation, but because you love them, you want to take care of them, right? My wife says, will you go fill up my car with gas? I go, yes, I'm looking for any way to go fill up her car with gas because I love her. 
And likewise, husbands, right? If I were to say to my wife, like, oh, you know, honey, thanks so much. Hey, would you do me a favor? I'm just exhausted. Like, could you just make me a cup of tea? I just, if I could just drink a cup of tea and relax for a little bit, that'd be super awesome. If my wife was like, have you not seen the new Barbie movie? I am a modern woman. I don't need to bow down to the oppressive nature of men. I am my own woman. I am woman, hear me roar. Make your own tea, right? Now, if she said that, I would go, I'm not sure what's going on here. I'll make my own tea, but I love you, right? Uh, but but that, kind of, that kind of approach, that's not sustainable. Why? Because when you love somebody, you're happy to obey. When you love somebody, you're happy to take care of them. Love does something. It demonstrates itself primarily in the way that we respond to requests and we serve other people. That's where the joy comes from in loving another person. Some of you have kids, Right? Again, I want you to imagine how this would work in your house if kids come up, they wake up, they're like, Mommy, Daddy, I'm hungry. Will you get something? Like, listen, I love you, but I won't do anything for you, kids. You're on your own. You're six six years old. It's time to get a job, okay? Quit contributing negligence in our economy, right? If you were like, I mean, your kids, number one, wouldn't know any of those words, but number two would just be like, what is happening right now? They'd probably pick up the smartphone and call CPS to get you out of there, right? Why? Because love does something. And it's our joy to obey the requests of our children. And guess what? This is the way it works with God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is this, that before any of us were ever worthy, and we never are, God loves us lavishly, and he brings us into a relationship with himself. And there's nothing we can do to earn more of that love, and there's nothing we can do to mess that love up. We can't be so bad that God just one day goes, oh, I'm stopping loving you. No, God just loves us lavishly. And so as it stands, we don't, if this is the cross right here, we don't find ourselves as believers in Christ working our way towards the cross. We can't work our way towards the cross. We can't do enough. We can't follow enough rules. We can't be good enough. We can't sing enough. We can't give enough money for Jesus to ever love us. When we wake up, Jesus just loves us. We wake up, we're like, oh, we're here. Jesus loves us. There's nothing we can do to change that. But while we can't work towards the cross, we do work from the cross. Because out of this great love that God has given us, we want to obey him with all of our lives. And if he tells us, if he tells us to go serve at Camp Orlando and not get any sleep and take care of high school students or middle school students and go to that wreck thing, even though our knees hurt, we do it. Why? Because we love God and we obey his commands. If God calls us to serve in kids ministry and teach the Bible to children, the next generation coming up, we do that because we love them. If God calls us to be a, a greeter, if God calls us to be on the coffee team or the tech team or be in the worship team, we do it. If God calls us to love our neighbor and to invite them over for dinner so we can get to know them, so that we can share the love of Christ with them, we do it. It's not a matter of obligation. We don't roll our eyes. We do it because when you love God, you're going to obey his commands and in obeying them, you're going to be happy. You're going to be like a tree that's planted by a stream of water and your life is going to flourish. And Paul says, this is at the heart of community. Every single believer has been changed by God and they're rightly oriented to who he is. And they're with a disposition like this that just says, God, whatever you want for Horizon West, whatever you want for your kingdom, I'm in. That's the heart of community. But I also want you to notice the second thing. I want you to notice the rule of community, the rule of community. Paul uses this term specifically. In verse 17, he says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him 
into which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. In the early church, there was um, this kind of idea of thinking about congregational life. There were typically two types of rules, okay? There was a rule of faith and there was a rule of life. And let me explain those things. The rule of faith is, is the shorthand way of saying we have a doctrine statement. We have a collection of teachings or philosophies that were our the- theological basis. This is our rule of faith. And virtually all churches agreed upon the rule of faith. It was true. Jesus is the only way uh, to God was true uh, in Antioch, as it was in Alexandria, as it was in Jerusalem, as it was in the early church, right? Everywhere you go, this was all pretty much the same. But churches, because of their contexts and because of their spiritual leaders, had a different, each of them, a different rule of life. The rule of life were spiritual practices that a community adopted in order to be rightly in line with the gospel. And so various communities had different rules of, of life. So if you were um, a, a monast- in the monastic order, in the, under the order of St. Francis, you had a particular rule of life. Or if you were uh, under St. Augustine, you had an Augustinian rule of life. If you were a Benedictine monk, you had a Benedictine rule of life. And so these different rules of life were different spiritual practices that people would recommend, again, in order to help keep you close to the heart of Jesus. And I want you to know that at Horizon West Church, I look around here on Sunday mornings, you guys have a definite rule of life. There are certain spiritual practices that you would prescribe, like a spiritual prescription for all believers, and you practice them every week. So number one, you believe in showing up every Sunday to gather for church to celebrate Jesus through studying his word and through singing his word back to him in the form of songs and praying his word back to him in the form of prayers, right? You're participating in that now. You believe in age-graded specific uh, discipleship training. So you have a kid's ministry and you have a student ministry and you practice that. You guys believe in living charitably. So you try to give of your time and of your talent and of your treasure in the form of uh, tithing and offerings, in the form of serving different places, in the the form of uh, uh, making sure that you're out and about for Horizon West. You have these practices that you adopt. I I would even venture to believe you guys believe in a regular rhythm of Uh, quiet times or personal devotional time where you're reading and you're praying and you're journaling and you're thinking about scripture on your own. These are all practices that your spiritual director, Pastor Chris Ogden, uh, practices himself and recommends to everybody. And everybody just agrees to live by this rule of life. I want you to notice that in the heart of community or uh, in community, there is the heart of community, which is the gospel. But that gospel is protected by or reinforced by these spiritual practices. All of these practices are intended to redirect you back towards the gospels. Because we also have to be honest, um, in our lives, you know, we live in Orlando, right? We live in the Orlando area. Uh, It's crazy to live in Orlando right now. Have y'all noticed this? There are like a million people moving here every day, it seems like. There's always more traffic on the road. You think you found the back road on 27 to get to your deal, and then you get on 27, and there's like, it's red everywhere in Apple Maps. And you're like, why are there this many people on 27, right? You go to the new Publix that opened up, and you walk in, and you're like, why are there so many people there? I saw Lionel Messi at this Publix here. He lives in Miami. I don't know how he made it to this Publix in Orlando. It's because Lionel Messi can't find a Publix in Miami because there's too many people, so he had to come to Orlando. It's like, what's going on here? If you don't know who Lionel Messi is, just Google search him later. He's the greatest soccer player in the world right now. And he plays for the Miami MLS team. And in his first, no, we won't go into that. I have so much I can say about Lionel Messi. 
Here's the point. Orlando's crazy. Home prices are crazy. Everybody's having to drive everywhere. Life is going to distract you from the thing that you love. It's just going to pull you in this direction. You're going to be over here. You're going to be discombobulated. You're taking kids here and there and everywhere. And you've got your job and you've got your project and your whatever. And you just find yourself sometimes when you're at home at night being like, honey, can you make me a cup of tea? I'm just, uh, uh, right? And you need something that's going to redirect you towards the cross. The rule of life at the heart of the community, the spiritual practices, are designed regularly to redirect you towards the heart of community. That no matter where you are in your week, when you show up here on a Sunday, the worship service is designed to point your attention and your affection back towards Jesus so that he can make you glad, so that he can make you like a tree planted by streams of water. That's the rule of community. I also want you to notice Finally, the sequence of community. The sequence of community. For Paul, there is a very particular way that community happens. First this, then this. And you can see it in verse 24. Brothers and sisters, in whatever condition each was called, let there or there let him remain with God. For Paul, no matter how you come into this community, okay, and we'll just think about our community, no matter how much you come into Horizon West, no matter when you come into Horizon West, his rule is let those people come in just as they are. If they're single, let them come in single. Don't make them get married before they can join your church. And if they're married, let them come in. Don't make them get divorced and become single to join your church because that was kind of going on in 1 Corinthians time, right? Uh, you know, if they come in and they're poor, don't make them get wealthy before they join your church. And if they're wealthy, don't make them give away all their money before they come to your church, right? Don't make anybody change any place that they are. Just let them come in as they are. Paul gets this idea from Jesus, and I don't know if you have ever thought about this. Uh, one of Jesus' most famous teachings, in fact, it's at the very start of his ministry. He looks at all these people who want to follow him, and he says, see if you've heard this before. If anyone would, if anyone would come after me, he must uh, here, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, right? Look at, the, look at the sequence there. If anyone would come after me, that's the first part of that. High invitation, come as you are, anybody, no exceptions, right? There's no fine print there where he says, if anyone would come after me, unless you're from Brazil, right? No, right? Or if anyone would come after me, unless you live in Northeast Orlando. If anyone would come after me, uh, you know, unless you cheer for the Gators, not the Seminoles. If anyone would it's just anyone, 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 anyone. Are you alive? Are you a human being? Yes. Then anyone, if anyone, high invitation, come as you are, come as you are, come as you are. And then he turns. Let those people take up their cross, deny themselves, and follow after me. Jesus moves from high invitation, then to high challenge. So Paul moves from high invitation, then to high challenge. If anyone would come in our fellowship, come on in. This is the sequence. Don't worry about whether they're going to fit or not long-term. We have spiritual practices. We have a rule of community that will direct them where we need to go. We have redundant, repeatable systems that will continually redirect them back towards Christ. Don't worry how they are when they come in. Just let them come in. Just let them come in. I'll tell you a story I didn't tell the first crowd, but um, I'm telling you because it just popped in my head. Um, in the first church I was a part of in Texas, uh, we had this ministry uh, to... Uh, people who worked in the sex industry in uh, Waco, Texas. Okay, so like nightclubs and people who danced at things, and I'm trying to use very PC language here, but you guys get what I'm talking about, right? 
And one Sunday every quarter or so, we would have our, um, there was a ministry there called Jesus Said Love, and it reached out to all of these sex workers. We would have our Jesus Said Love Sunday, okay? Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Waco, Texas. Have any of you ever been to Waco, Texas? Okay, right? Okay, sir, ma'am. So you've got Magnolia, right? You've got Magnolia in Waco, Texas. You've got Baylor University, Sick and Bears. Uh, uh, I went to Baylor, so Sick and Bears is what we say, right? But you also have a lot of country people. Do you know what I mean when I say country people? Think Walker, Texas Ranger, okay? Like it's, it's blue jeans and cowboy boots. Everybody has guns right here, everybody, but they hide it by putting on the sports coat with the patches. You guys know what I'm talking about? And no matter how hot it is, the first thing they want when they come to church is a piping hot cup of coffee, but it's black with no creamer because that's how they get down, right? Uh, they park their horses outside and get off and come on inside. Th- this, was, this was like our deacons and our ushers at our church. They were just these burly leather skin men who grew up on like the oil rig or who grew up on the farm or whatever. And they came in and every six weeks we would have Jesus said love Sunday. And I remember I was helping coordinate and I would get so nervous. I'd be like, okay, how are all these Walker, Texas Ranger types uh, going to respond to all of these women of the night who are coming in right now? And what are the women going to be wearing? And oh my goodness, I'm just zoning it, right? All that whole thing, right? And every time without a hitch, these women would be coming in and they're like, they're not dressed for church, but they're just like, oh, they're dressed as conservative as they know how to be, right? Uh, and they would come in and these, these, these men and these women who were all really rough Texas people would just be so gentle with them. They wouldn't judge them. They wouldn't say anything to them. They, wouldn't, they would just usher them in and have them sit down in the seats. And they would say, can we get you some coffee? Can we take care of you? And those women felt so loved. And as a result, they would come back and they would come back and they would get into Bible studies and they'd get into classes. And it was beautiful. It was just this beautiful thing going on. And this is what Paul has in mind. The sequence of community, high invitation, come as you are. But once you come in, don't stay as you are because Jesus has more for you in the life of obedience to him. And it's his job to do the work to get you there, the sequence of community. Let me, uh, let me end by telling you this story here. Um, uh, there's this thing that's happened in my lifetime called travel baseball. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Is there anybody that plays on a select team or has kids who play on a select team, does travel baseball, travel soccer, travel cheerleading, travel math camp? I don't know how this works, okay? Right? You can show hands. All right. Here's how travel baseball works because that's what I'm most familiar with. You know, like when you're five, uh, they have tryouts for baseball. And you go to this one designated field and there's like, you know, these volunteer coaches who are there with clipboards. And they have you run through all these drills and they just sit there and they're like, okay, yeah, you know, okay. Uh, And so they have you run from home to first base and they're like, how fast is your clock in you and like all that stuff. And then they, you know, have you hit a couple baseballs and they're just making notes. And then they they see you throw and they, you know, make notes. They watch you slide and they make notes, whatever. And so if there's like, I don't know, 100 kids who are trying out, they only take the best 15 kids and they put them on the travel team. And if they call your name and you're one of the 15 kids, you feel like it's the best day in the world because you get ushered into the dugout and there's your name on a jersey and you get your special bat and bat bag and you're part of the team and all the kids are celebrating. But if you don't make it onto the team, if you get cut, you feel like you're the worst thing in the world. Like, man, I'm not good enough to be on the travel team and just be with them and they're going to go to fun places and they're going to go do all these things. 
And it's just really kind of heartbreaking. And at five years old, they start this in America. At five years old. Happens when you're five, when you're six, when you're seven, when you're eight. As if the major leagues are just watching, you know, good old boy over there, like making notes on the clipboard. Like, yeah, we're going to trust that guy's judgment, right? Like everything is, the, the stakes are so high for all of this. For five, for six, for seven-year-olds. And these kids, they're, they're ripped apart because some of their friends are good enough to go and some of their friends are not good enough to go. And it's just this, it's this really weird system. And yet we participate in it all the time. And listen, I, I'm a dad and I'm starting to... To the, get in the age where we've got to think about participating in it. It's just really tough. It's even tougher on the parents, right? If you're a parent of one of these travel teams, your weekends are shot for life and you're spending $1,000 a week going to stay in a La Quinta in the middle of Iowa just so your kids can play in a tournament so they can go to one of the 57 World Series that take place in July and August so your kids can be the best so you can put on social media. It's worth it. It's worth it for Johnny to hit a home run in his last game. It's worth it. He's going to be playing for the Cubs one day, right? That's just, that's what we do, but it's just such this competitive thing where people are in and people are out and there's people being evaluated. And the whole thing is like, if you're good enough, then you get the jersey. I think about that when I think about this movie that came out in the early 90s called The Sandlot. Have you seen The Sandlot? Okay, clap if you've seen The Sandlot. Okay, good, good, good. I knew you guys were Christians. All right. uh, So like there's this movie called The Sandlot. And if if you've never seen it before, let me give you the kind of IMDB summary of it, right? So uh, in Los Angeles in the 1950s, I think maybe the 1960s, late 50s, early 60s, um, there's a group of kids in the neighborhood who've discovered an abandoned baseball field they call The Sandlot. And every day they go there and they play baseball and they practice their skills and they just have fun for hours and hours and hours on end. It was their little playground to play baseball. And the rules of the Sandlot are everybody has to play every position so that everybody gets a a turn at learning all the positions, pitching and catching and first and second and third and fourth and batting and outfield and all those things. And they can go through various strategies. They can figure out how to do the double play. They can figure out life. And most importantly, they can just have a lot of fun as this little club in the Sandlot. Well, one of the key players leaves and a new kid moves to the uh, neighborhood. His name is Smalls. And Small sees all these kids going off to the sandlot one day. And so he sneaks in and he finds his way into the sandlot. And he notices there's nobody in center field. So he just goes and he stands out in center field and he's there. And then pretty soon as they're playing, someone hits a pop fly to him. And he's like, "Uh uh-oh, I don't know what to do. Because Smalls has never played baseball before. And he goes and he tries to catch it, but he misses it in the sun. He falls over. And all the kids are like, what is that guy doing out there? Then he picks up the ball and he attempts to throw it. But he doesn't know how to throw. And so he's just like... And the ball goes a few yards and all the kids are like, ha, 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 like, what are you doing? And Smalls is so heartbroken and crestfallen. He just leaves and he runs back home. Well, there's a kid on the team named Benny the Jet Rodriguez. And he is the best kid in the whole town. And he sees Smalls leave and he knows that Smalls is one of his neighbors. So the next day, Benny goes over to Smalls' house, knocks on the door and says, Smalls, why don't you come play baseball with us? And Smalls gives him all the excuses. Well, you know, I don't have a hat. I don't have a glove. And he's like, don't worry about it. Here's my glove. Oh, you don't have a hat? Here's a hat for you. And finally he goes, I don't know how to throw a baseball. He's like, don't worry about it. I'll teach you how to do that. And so he brings them with him and they go to the sandlot and Smalls gets put in center field and Benny's doing warm-ups and he hits the ball to Smalls and Smalls is like, ah, and he falls over. And all the kids on the team are like, Benny, what are you doing here? Why are you doing this with Smalls? It just doesn't make sense. And Benny's like, hold on. So runs off in center field. And he goes, Smalls, just put your hand up in the air. I'll hit it and you'll catch it. That's it. And then Smalls is like, well, what do I do about throwing? He's like, look, just pull the ball back and chuck it as hard as you can. I'll take care of everything else. And he's like, okay. 
So then he goes back to home plate and he hits the ball up in the air and Smalls puts his hand up and all of a sudden the ball just magically pops into his glove. Pop! And he catches it. And the kids on the field are like, wow, this is incredible. And he takes a windup and he throws it to the cutoff man who throws it, relays it to second base. And all the kids in this moment look at each other and they're like, this is going to work. This is amazing. And I think about that moment in the movie all the time. Because that's the picture of community. It's not select ball where people have to earn their stripes in order to get a t-shirt. We don't make them go through a tryout to then bring them in so that if they're good enough, they can be on this elite team. That's not Christianity. That's never been Christianity. And by the way, that kind of Christianity, if you grew up in it, it never lasts because it's not the way God set up his community. That's a crowd. That's an elite crowd, and it doesn't work. Christianity is much more like the Sandlot, where it doesn't matter if you can play baseball. If you want to come be part of our team, come on, and we'll teach you everything as we go. We are high invitation and then high challenge. Come with us. We'll teach you the gospel so that you can find the source of your joy in Jesus. And once you get that, we'll teach you how to pray. And we'll teach you how to study the Bible. And we'll teach you how to sing worship songs. And we'll teach you how to serve in kids' ministry. And we'll teach you how to do tech team. And we'll teach you how to work with youth. And we'll teach you how to be a greeter. And we'll teach you how to go on a mission trip. And we'll teach you how to have a quiet time. And we'll teach you everything you need because that's called discipleship. And it's what happens in a community, but it has to start with an open open invitation. If anyone would come after me, then let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. Horizon West Church, there are millions of people moving here every day. And they're living in these houses that they're building around you. You can see it when you go out here. And they're all moving from a place that's much more like a select team than it is the sandlot. So here's my question and my challenge to each of you here today. What if Horizon West Church became the sandlot for people who are moving to this area? What if we kept the heart of the gospel at our community, at the heart of our community? And what if we continued to practice our rule of community? And what if we adopted the proper sequence of community? What might God do in our church for his glory and for our good? And for good of these people moving in these houses. Jesus, I pray that you would make us such a place in Horizon West, Florida. That people would come to just be around us. That we would teach them to play baseball. And that you would do all of this for your glory and our good. And the good of this community. Jesus, we love you and we're going to obey you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.